Within minutes, they were bickering. Within minutes, they were having a little argument. Well, clearly we walk in on the middle of a story here that Luke is, is, is sharing with us, and so I did my homework. And I got to tell you, it ain't pretty. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure I should tell you this because if I ever approach you again or anybody here tries to approach you again and wants you to get involved in church, you just may remember this. So I'm just going to ask this one thing before I tell you the rest of the story. Promise me you'll listen to every word until we say amen, hallelujah, and the choir quits singing, okay? <laughs> the minute after... So they started bickering the minute after. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, <laughs> so I hate to admit it, and it might surprise you, but church folk are not immune to bickering. <laughs> and it's even worse. The minute after they shared communion they got in this little argument about who's the greatest church folk oh no say it isn't so oh my gosh but i just gotta say that when you think about the deeply rooted spiritual practice that they had set there with jesus it's it is a little frightening and on the surface looks terrifying we are talking about the Passover meal that they had gathered and shared with, with this one who they have intimately come to know as the Christ. He had right there offered some very important words. Let me share those with you. He says to them, in a Passover meal like none other, he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. He went on to say another little word about betrayal. So how is it? How do we get to this place? Was it too much silence in the room that had fell upon them when the one they loved had mentioned the word suffering and betrayal all at one time? that drove them to this? Was it the discomfort that that caused? Or was it just simply one of those knee-jerk reactions that we have many times? And when we're trying to figure out who's gonna do the betrayal, that we just start lifting ourselves up just so that we're not the one on the ground. So we, the fingers are pointing, and so we, we have to do that. How does it happen? How can we eat and drink from the table of life, yet allow our insecurity to convince our body we're still hungry? And so with a full belly, we ask ourselves, maybe because it's easier, a kingdom? Hmm. Will I be great? Will I be a king? 
And did you hear how Jesus intervened? He said, well, yes, actually. You will be a king. I confer onto you the royal authority that has been conferred onto me by God. You are kings and queens. But just a little friendly reminder, read the fine print. God's realm, this kingdom stuff, it's not the same way as you've seen it in your worldly, worldly kingdoms or reigns. You, my dear kings and queens, are not to be like the everyday leaders. It's not going to be that way with you, he says. Just as I have taken my place among you as one who serves, so you are to take part of the servant. But he ends with this. So beautifully, he says, eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you then move to take responsibility among the congregations of God's people. Yes, break the bread, take the cup, divide it among you. Yes, take it and gain your strength. And always, always make room for the other. Watch me, Jesus says. I take my life for you and I open it up. Do so for others. This giving or taking, this is what we're contemplating today. So what would Jesus really do? As Kristen likes to say, this is one of those both and answers. This is one of those places, at least one of those places, where it is a both and. Jesus says, take and eat and be well and then give yourself away. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, indeed, we want to hear you this day. So we've entered this place and we have made ourselves available. So receive this as an act of worship and clear our hearts and minds. Break through our busyness. Break through our emptiness and feed us this day. And oh God, then give us the courage, the faith, and the love to move from this place renewed as bread for the world. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. Amen. So this wasn't the only scripture we had today. Wasn't that an incredible presentation by our new, brand new Jubilee ministry, theater ministry? What an awesome start. Uh, there's an ad in your bulletin if you're feeling called to such a, such a thing. But there was another scripture that they were beautifully reenacting for us, also from Luke. It's from chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And it's based on a parable that Jesus teaches about a rich fool. He teaches this parable after someone in the crowd approaches him for help. And so at first glance, this parable of the rich fool seems to be a parable about greed. But with a closer look, we see that Jesus is truly addressing this issue of insecurity. You see, Jesus is interrupted by a man who wants help in acquiring half of his family's inheritance. He says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So we can presume that this man has an older brother who was due to receive the entire family inheritance because that's simply the way it was done then. And then we can assume that this older brother has just gotten the inheritance because their father had died. So this younger's 
son's desire to have half the inheritance isn't greed for the sake of just having more stuff. It is a response to the reality of death. This man's father had just died. He's the younger son and stands to get nothing. Suddenly, he is perceiving he is insecure. His response to this is that he is attempting to make security by obtaining part of his father's possessions. Now, you, I know you may think I'm reading a lot into the text, but consider this parable that Jesus teaches. This parable is Jesus' response to this man's request to intervene in his, his and his brother's um, situation. And Jesus says to him, I am not here to judge or arbitrate your affairs, but I would like to tell you a story. And he begins to preach. He tells a parable about a wealthy landowner whose land produces abundantly, so abundantly, in fact, that he doesn't have room to store his entire crop. And in that day and age, famine could hit without warning and set, be, be there for years, which would put everyone's lives at risk. So this landowner does a very prudent thing. He increases the size of his barn so that he can store his bumper crop and thereby secure his future against any threat of famine. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we've found ourselves in that chair at times. And we will admit that many of us would want to do that very thing. We would want to invest in our future and try to secure our lives as long as we can. That is natural. But the story gets interesting. Just when the landowner has done this, his time is up. And in case you couldn't hear that voice, this is what it said. This very night, God says, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared... Now whose will they be? You see, his attempt to secure his own future is ruined by the very thing that he hopes to avoid by storing it all up. It's a sad story less about greed and more about how we live when our life becomes or we perceive it to become insecure. It's a universal human principle because when life gets insecure, we seek security. And sometimes our desire for security is so strong that it leads us to relentlessly search for the one thing that will help us feel secure again. And that's when it starts. We start making those deals with the devil. We start compromising our integrity. Start making bad choices. We start selling out our soul. We place all of our hopes and security or happiness upon either a person or a job or a thing or many things, and we put them in the center of our lives, and before we know it, life is really gone. We mislead ourselves into believing that as long as we have it, we'll feel secure, but ultimately that will fail us, and we'll find ourselves searching again for something else to fill that void and quench our desire. It's a slippery slope into our shadow side. So, any of you in here seen Jaws? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about that scene where they're out trying to figure out if they've got the right shark, you know, based on all of the stuff that's happening, and so they just hang them up and they rip open. And they, you remember that scene, nobody? <laughs> you know what I remember about that scene? The stuff that falls out of that jaw's stomach. Yeah, there was an arm, there were some bones, but there was a tire and a piece of a boat. 
and a license plate. You remember that license plate falling out of there? <laughs> oh, you see, sharks are these ferocious eaters. They indiscriminately just take things, just eat it, take it all in. It just keeps getting bigger. And we find ourselves like this shark at times, just consuming and eating and things that's not even going to do the trick. And we all know it's going to be hard to pass. Good thing they cut open that stomach. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, we are hungry people looking for wholeness and security. And we try to fashion these things out of our possessions, and it doesn't work. We're still hungry. We try to find fulfillment in work or faulty relationships in this product or this drug, in the mass collection of things that we don't need, but we don't find it. We consume and possess things indiscriminately, relentlessly grabbing for this and that, hoping to insulate ourselves from our limitations, our insecurities, and our fears. Better clothes, thinner bodies, for me, more books. We try to be content, which that which will never satisfy. And so we're left yearning for more. That is literally the meaning of the Greek word that Jesus uses that gets interpreted as greed. It means yearning for more. A better word for it might be avarice, the insatiable desire for more. And Luke positions this parable of the rich fool right in the middle of Jesus' predictions of his own death and plots to kill him, which connects for us that human, universal human desire for more with the un universal human insecurity, right? Or fear of death. Luke knows that we'll always be in the culture of insecurity about that. And so we know, he knows that we will fashion whatever we can find to try to help ourselves stand more firm when we perceive that our world is shaken up. When Jesus ends this parable, he's really trying to get our attention now. He uses a little shock therapy because he has God call this person, you fool, you nitwit, you silly person. He tells us that God says, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you've prepared or stored away in those larger barns, whose will they be now? So it is, Jesus continues to preach with any of us who store up treasures for ourselves and are not rich towards God. The rich man in his insecurity starts talking to himself, thinks for himself, and in doing so makes no consideration for his neighbors. And in disregarding the neighbor, we disregard our God. Now I want to say that Jesus is trying to get our attention to remind us that life, real life, slips through our fingers. So I want you to hear that this preacher doesn't quit preaching right here. Jesus keeps talking. He is not using this fear tactic to try to conquer your fear. He's saying, you already have it. Life is yours. Wake up. And then he keeps preaching. I want you to hear, I want you to so much hear what he says after this parable. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Can any of you, by worrying about these things, add a single hour to your life? If then, if you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? 
Do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For the nations of the world that strive after these things, it is them. Your God knows that you need them. Instead, strive for God's kingdom and these things which will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Or in more inclusive language, the realm of God. Jesus is trying to get our attention and say to you, the realm of God is in you. It is in you. You've already got it. It's already obtained. It is yours. You are a child of God. You are beloved. You are secure. You are whole. This preacher goes into it. This good preacher wants you to hear it. You don't have to be afraid. It's God's good pleasure. Do not be afraid. Both the man in the crowd and that rich man in the parable have seemed to have lost their ability to live free and alive to God. They are both bound, one by the property dispute and the other by a business opportunity. Neither of these may be what binds us but I'm certain you are like me and something does. If it's not property stopping us from being free and alive in this love of God, what is it? If you were that someone in the crowd asking Jesus for help today, what might you be asking? And if Jesus was to tell you a parable or a story or a sermon, what kind of imagery might he couch your story? Are you, maybe, that big guy with a bumper crop? Or maybe the little brother needing his fair share? And in one way or another, storing up treasures for yourself and not rich towards God. Do you desire a bigger barn because you've been given much, but somehow your insecurity sets in? And in wanting you, so you begin to want to store it or keep it or protect it from the unknown future ahead. And so you pull inward and you hold your blessing to yourself and you lose that joy and freedom that comes from giving yourself away. Or do you find yourself needing that bigger barn like that little brother because you've had your share, your unfair share of loss or grief, shame, You've fallen victor, victim to somebody else's anger, rage. Somebody's broken your heart. You just are afraid to love again. And so you need that bigger barn to stuff it all in so you don't have to open yourself to others. Are you storing your, your hurt in all these things so you don't have to expose it? And just like the rich fool, you die in poverty by becoming so internally protected that you're no longer rich with God. Whether we are the big guy or the little brother, we do not share or open our life, and indeed, by doing that, we lose it, or we lose the ability to understand. When we lose the ability to see we have life, we begin to let it slip through, 
So Jesus is not trying to make us afraid of death. He's trying to tell us and wake us up that life is yours and it's full. He's saying that most of our anxieties are unfounded because the only real world in which we live is that realm of God. The real value is experienced when we risk living into our faith. Now, as far as I can tell, the same old rules apply. That involves some very specific tasks, loving God, loving each other, but it also means forgiveness, generosity, gentleness, and hospitality. And not just, not just believing these things, but living them, opening ourselves up, incorporating these into our work and our play, our learning and our rest, our family and our friendships, and please, our church work. And not because we have to or not, the, not else, but because we can trust and lean into the heart of a loving God. And from that place, discover the dream that God holds for us. We can take it back and then give it away. That is the both end of the gospel. I want us, I want us to be the church that is brave enough to ask ourselves, what have we been given? What have I been given? What joys, what pains, what highs, what lows? What have we encountered in our life and in this community? Think about them in your individual life. Think about them in this context of this community and take them and let them break your heart open and allow your lives and your stories to be poured out so that someone else might encounter that they have life too. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and it's time for us to remember that wake-up call, that our bodies will return to the dust from which it came. It's an awesome worship experience, though, where we mark the season of Lent, where we get real with ourselves. We simply wake up to the reality that life is precious and that we were formed by God, beloved by God, and will return to God. And in this space, in that safety net, we have the courage to follow Jesus into the wilderness for the 40 days and do that internal review, the introspection that's needed to sift through the pages of our life, our stories, our joys, our pains, sometimes facing one or two of those devils we made the, deal, the, the deals with, those little demons, all for the sole purpose of breaking our life open to God's good dream of reconciliation, God's good dream of redemption, God's good dream of resurrection and new life. So I'm asking a favor of everyone here. This coming Wednesday, would you join me here for Ash Wednesday and let yourself be marked with that reminder that God's life in you is precious. And then will you enter into the 40 days of Lent and just do a few spiritual practices. One is to pick up Waywards out of our bookstore. It'll be in there by Wednesday, and it'll be there next Sunday. It's just a 40-day daily devotional with you and God, a page a day in the Word so that you can be strengthened at God's table. And then join us every Sunday as we take the principles here and we preach throughout Lent and we worship. And then one more favor. As you're doing that internal work, to be more intentional with your life, finding it full, and learning how to give it away. 
will you join us also in the Waymaking Lenten series where we will be studying the results of that survey, all four, all four, engaging our story here, engaging our spiritual DNA and listening for how God wants to form us to be bred in the community. There's five Wednesdays, or if you're, we know your schedules are funky, so there's a one-day Saturday. Watch me, Jesus says. As I break my life open for you, do so for others. Strive for God's realm, and these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I ask one more favor. Will you join me in this affirmation to celebrate this day? Real life is mine and is simply waiting for me to break it open to share. That's nice. Let's do it one more time. Real life is mine and is simply waiting for me to break it open and share. May it be so. Amen.